Well, on our trip out west, we traveled through a dry desert. And really, it's a terrible, awful place. It is just like a cowboy scene from any movie you've ever seen. It's dry and dusty, and it's covered with sagebrush. And the kids said, well, I don't see sagebrush rolling around. And I said, look, it's right there on the side of the road. It dries up and rolls along. It's just like the movies with the tumbleweeds and everything out there. And it's kind of this delicate balance in this desert out there. So we drove along, and we had a destination to head for that day. We drove along on the road on the interstate for a while. And then we got off the interstate, and it wasn't too long before we left the pavement. And once we left the pavement, we started off this side road, and it was dirty, and it was dusty, and the dust was flying up behind us. Rocks all over the place, and as we started to climb up through, we, got, we went up through the mountains. And we traveled and we traveled and we traveled for quite some time. And we started to do switchbacks around the mountainsides. One side up the side of the mountain and the other side a sheer drop. And we, we curled around the top of the mountain and went down the next side and curled around the next one. It was nothing to hold us back except a little pile of gravel on the edge. So we were very careful. It was a little nerve-wracking. We drove for miles like that, and finally we came to a crossroads. And when I say a crossroads, there was a pit toilet there. That was it. <laughs> Just a pit toilet, and it was a dirt road that looked like there'd been more four-wheelers and ATVs on there than, than ever cars. And we crossed, and there was one more thing there. It was a little tiny wooden sign about this big, old and dried up wood and white it painted on there was the name of our destination silver city we were headed to silver city we had probably driven my estimation maybe 10 or 12 miles through this mountains we had twice that much to go we finally drove 23 miles on dirt winding roads up through the mountains with nothing around but sagebrush and a few antelope. And finally, we came through on these rocky old roads. We came through and we came and there was a big valley. Silver City right ahead of us. Dotted with little houses all through the mountainside up on both sides of the of the valley and there was a there was dry dusty street towns there were town streets all along you could kind of see where people had been here and there and we looked across that place and we had gone to look at it not because it was like any other little town although it was unique so being so far off the beaten trail but there were dozens of small buildings, and each one was abandoned. Nothing, nobody there. We ran into a few visitors that lived there, or that, that came through there, but essentially nobody lived in this town. At one time, it was a bustling little town filled with hundreds and hundreds of people, hundreds of homes and businesses all through there. 
That was at the peak of the gold rush and silver rush. People had found gold and found silver. I don't even know how they found the valley where it was way back there. But they found gold and they found silver way back in the mountains out in the west. And when we got there, of course, when all the gold and silver had dried up and nobody could find anymore, they all left. There was no reason to keep them out in the middle of nowhere anymore. So we went there. There was one old, older lady who was there who sold a little book about the buildings that were still there and a few other trinkets, and the rest of the town was just abandoned. There were stores and a hotel, and there was a bank, a whole vault for the gold that they once held inside of it. There was a church up on the rocky side of the mountain, and a school, and a saloon, town buildings, and laundry facilities. It was quite the bustling town at one time. We walked through the streets, and we looked at our little book to see what things once were. And you looked in the window of the store, and there's still things on the shelf inside the store. The church still has stained glass windows. The schoolhouse is still shut up up on the top of the hill. Everything is there. We walked the streets that the cowboys once walked, and literally there was a street called Dead Man's Alley. Dead Man's Alley is where they had had cowboy shootouts at one time, and they talked about people who were murdered on the town streets. But now there was nothing. The whole place was empty. The buildings were decaying, and people came in. They were still owners of the buildings. They came in and tried to fix them up a little bit here and there just so they didn't fall down to the ground. But some of them had fallen to the ground. All decaying for a century and a half, sitting empty. Nothing there. The town had been abandoned when the gold and silver ran out. And it was an eerie thing to stand in the streets, imagining what once was there. The people walking the streets, buying things in the stores. It was missing something major. One thing it was missing, as you stood in there and you saw all of what once was, it was missing life. Life was gone from this mountain. There were little crickets. Well, they were big crickets. They had taken over the whole place. There was a big hatching of them. We probably saw 10,000 of them all over the place. Nothing there as far as a human goes. All gone. There was evidence that something had stood there once that was great. Something had stood there once that this bustling little town was all there. But now the town is empty and dead back in the middle of nowhere. The Bible explains to us that we live in such a place today. In our world today, we have the same conditions as in that empty old ghost town. A town with no life. Our world is like that, with no life. In Ephesians, we're going to look in the book of Ephesians today, Chapter number 2, 
Paul tells us in our passage about that, that our world was once a thriving and a beautiful place. When God made man and woman, He intended for our, our world to be different than it is today. Adam and Eve, He put them in a garden filled with beauty and paradise. There was no sin. And they were alive. Not just physically alive, but it says that God came down and walked with them and talked with them. We have that song, He walks with me and He talks with me, He tells me I am His own. It was as real when Adam and Eve were there as it ever could be. God's presence was right there with them. Personally, a spiritual living connection they had with God. And of course, we know the story. God gave them a rule that they had to follow. One simple rule. And they decided not to follow it. And on that day, God promised that that bustling, wonderful paradise full of life would dry up and die. When they disobeyed God's rules... And did what they wanted. On that day, paradise was left and the connection of God died to those people. What a sad day when the earth died spiritually. Nothing left. That connection to God just dried up and went away. The real living part of our world, of mankind, was now gone. It was dead. We were separated from God. And it was a sad time. It was an eerie thing. But God had made a plan far before in His knowledge of the world and what we would do. We stand today in this place in this world, devoid of what is real, devoid of the real connection in life, the connection to God. We see people moving and doing stuff all around us, but there's not that real connection. It's dead and gone with people. People are lonely and they're restless. People are selfish. They're on this earth roaming with no hope. Unaware of their own death, of what happened inside of them. Trying to prop it up like the old ghost town. Trying to hold things together to make it look like it once was. We try to do that with this world and you can't ever do it because it's missing the most important piece. The connection and intimacy with God. So God looked down and He created a plan. He had a grand plan. This is what he did. In Ephesians chapter number 2, verse number 4, But God, who is rich in mercy, for His great love wherewith He loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace you are saved." and has raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So God's plan was this. 
I need to make the spirits of these dead people, this dead place, alive again. This is, a, this is an old word. We don't use the word quicken very much. But all that means, when you quicken something, it just means you make it alive again. Now, we don't have the ability to make things alive again like that. Once they're dead, we can't bring them back. But God can do it. And God looked across and it says He was rich in mercy. And He said, even though they don't deserve it, even though there is no one that deserves it, I want the most despicable human being out there. I want to give him a way to live again. I don't care who he is. I love him. And I want to give him a chance. And so as God looked down across the dead world, the empty world without life, Jesus Christ became the biggest part of that plan. And without Jesus Christ, we cannot hope to live again. So one day, Jesus came down to this earth in this dead place, and He was born, and He was raised, and crucified, took our sins upon Him, died as a sacrifice and rose again, quickened himself, became alive again, and he died in our place so that we can have life, that we can come alive again, that we can have hope. We're given the opportunity without doing anything. We can't do anything. No matter how much we try, we can't do good enough to bring God's mercy on us. It says we are sinners saved by grace. Grace means unmerited favor. He looked down on us as that world of dead humans with no spiritual connection. He looked down on us and said, I love them so much I will give my son for them. I want them to live again. And because of Jesus Christ, he says, now I went and died, and I'm going to share this life with you. I share this. Even though he could say, now I'm king above all, and he is. But he says, now come on up with me. Sit with me. He says, we're given a seat in heaven because of Jesus Christ. A seat in the high places of heaven. New privileges not because we earned it, not because we did anything, but because God looked down and said, I will make a plan and I will give them a chance and I will bring this to them. Ephesians chapter 2, as we go on with verse 7, this is why God did it. That in the ages to come, He might show the exceeding riches of His grace in His kindness towards us through Jesus Christ. For by grace... Are you saved through faith? That not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. God's plan is that we became a work of love to show the world what He does, who He is. We become a special work from Him. We will be the evidence to heaven as a human race. Those who have said, yes, I will, 
to God's plan will be the evidence to the angels and other heavenly creatures out there that God's mercy is deep. God's love is great. Beyond deserving, he reached out to us in that dead place and says, come alive again. Come alive with me. So your question is, do we have a choice in God's plan? Simply said, yes. It says, by grace we are saved, so it's totally unmerited favor. And it says, through faith we're saved. So let's just look at that for a moment. What does that mean? Let's get this in perspective. What does faith really mean? Faith means this. Belief in God's promises. It's nothing more than that. It's simple. We were dead, totally unable, totally unaware that we were even dead to spiritual things. And God's Spirit reached down on us and said, Wake up. Listen to me. Listen to me. So he executes the plan, and he does it, and he gives you a chance, and all you need to do is say, yes, I will. It's pretty simple. It's pretty basic. That's faith, belief in God's promises. God does everything in the whole grand plan, and we just simply say, yes. And it's that way so that we can't, boast and say, look what I did. Look how great I am. Look at how wonderful I am. We just simply say yes or no. I have a friend who works with some mentally challenged folks that struggle just functioning. She cooks for them, and sometimes they want to help her. And she most graciously says, sure, you can help me. And it takes her longer, (laughs) and it gives her more effort and more work. And do they really help? Well, not really. But because she cares for them, she lets them do it. She lets them be a part of that process. She loves them. Well, God gives us a chance to do the same thing. He says, come on in and say yes. That's all. Come in and say yes. You really can't help with this whole plan, but you can say yes and believe. So none of us can boast. Not one of us can boast. Because God did it all. Verse number 10 to finish up. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. When it says we are his workmanship, that means God is that carpenter. Now, I don't think it's a mistake that Jesus was a carpenter when he came to earth, because a carpenter, especially in those days, had a very unique task. They did not get a piece of wood and start with it. They went out and found the piece of wood for the project they were looking for. They went into the woods and they picked a tree and says, that's the one I want. Cut it down, made it and prepared it, got it all ready, 
picked out just what they wanted because they knew this tree has a little different grain and that tree has a little bit different. They picked them to be a masterpiece. I want that tree because I know the grain in that will be unique. They put great loving care into preparing all the pieces, getting it all ready, and then finally assembling a piece of furniture, a masterpiece. You've seen some of those great big dressers, the high boy dressers that just have perfection. Someone spent hundreds of hours putting them together, choosing exactly what they wanted, throwing aside the stuff that wasn't quite right. Well, God looks across the earth and he chooses us out. He says, I want you to be my masterpiece. He keeps working. He creates us. He uses attention to detail within our lives. And I'll tell you what, not very many days I feel like a masterpiece. But God looks at us and says, you will be my masterpiece. I will make you into that. He creates us with all the attention to detail and all the love, with the personality that we have. He works within that personality, just like a piece of wood has a personality, different grains and different things that bring it out. And he says, I'm going to make that shine. I'm going to do something different with that. I'm going to use it. And so God reaches out, makes a masterpiece out of the mess of our life. By his grace, he does it. To understand all the things that God did and the fact that we weren't even aware that we were dead. But God reached through all of that murky, dead town like we like that old ghost town and said, I'm going to make you live again. I'm going to put life back in you. I'm going to quicken you and bring you back alive. All you need to do is say yes to me. So I ask you and I urge you, have you said yes to Christ? Do you struggle? Have you given Him over? Have you let Him do the work in your life? Become alive in your spirit. Know those things that you couldn't know without God. Connect with God. Be a part of the living and not a part of the ghost town like we live in today. Say yes to God's mighty work in your life. Listen to His voice and tell Him, I'm coming, Lord, listening to You. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we are thankful that You have had grace on us. We know we are a sinner saved by grace and that You have done a mighty work. We pray that we would listen to Your call today be touched by your spirit in a way only you can do. Thank you so much for what you have done for us, and we ask for your help in this place today. In your name, amen. Let's finish up with a song. It's on the back of your bulletins. I am coming, Lord. Stand together as we sing. Just the first verse in here. I hear thy welcome voice. That
cleansing in thy precious blood that flowed from Calvary. I am coming, Lord, coming now to thee. Wash me, cleanse me in the blood that flowed from Calvary. Let's do the chorus again. in a word of prayer. Lord, we are thankful that you have offered this chance of salvation. We are thankful that you have counted us as a masterpiece, that you will do great and mighty work in our life. If we will just believe, say, yes, I will, Lord. I am coming, Lord. Wash me and cleanse me. Be with the folks as they go from this place. Protect them and be with them. Guide them, guard them, protect them, and just help them to know that your spirit is with them each day. Thank you for your great and mighty hand in our lives. And in this church and on this place, we ask for those special things in your name.